0: everyone This is our last Sunday in our Holy Spirit series and it's always a little bit sad coming to the closing of a sermon series especially when it's on something as someone as broad as the Holy Spirit because there's always so much more that could be said and so many more scripture passages that we could have looked at but I hope in this series that you've at least been able to grasp the importance of having a focus on the Spirit, especially when it comes to living out our Christian discipleship, especially when it comes out to living out the truths of Jesus. Because as Eugene Peterson once said, we often treat the Holy Spirit like a tag log in the Trinity, right? We focus so much on the Father, we focus so much on the Son, and the Spirit we're just kind of happy to have as as a sort of trail along when we talk about the other two. But as I mentioned earlier in the series, it's the Spirit who brings to life All that Jesus said and did. It's the Spirit who convicts within us the truths of Jesus and enables us to grasp them. It's the Spirit who gives us the confidence and the courage to live those truths out. See, without the Spirit, there really is no good news for us. Because we wouldn't be able to grasp it. Because the Spirit is the proof, the assurance. Paul says in Second Corinthians, the Spirit is the, the deposit which has been given to us to guarantee for us all that Jesus has done and all that is to come. In other words, the Spirit is the person of the Trinity who is our greatest need when we are walking out the truths of Jesus and trying to follow in his ways. And so this morning, we're going to close off this series by looking at a passage in the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, or if you want to grab one of those Bibles in front of you, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. The words will also be up on the screen. Um, And this is a, a passage that emphasizes this truth, that the Spirit is in fact our greatest need. At first, it's not going to seem like this passage makes a lot of sense in the context of the series, but I promise it will make sense as we go along. So Luke 11, and then we're going to start at verse 5. Yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Now, we didn't read the first four verses in this chapter, but if you just take a quick glance, before you close your Bibles, if you just take a quick glance at those first four verses, you'll notice that this Passage that we've just read is in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. They've observed him going off and praying on his own, and when he's finished and comes back to them, they ask him to teach them how to pray as well. And what follows is what we've historically called the Lord's Prayer. Now, directly after this, then, what we've just read is Jesus gives an an analogy, an anecdote, a story, an example that serves as a gateway for teaching something about who God is and what God desires for us. And notice how in this, in this story, he right away inserts the listener into the story, right? He says, suppose you have a friend. Any of you teachers probably know this. This is the easiest way to get people to imagine something with you or to engage them in a story. Suppose you have a friend. You insert them into the story. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at night needing bread for another friend of yours who's just dropped in spontaneously to visit. And your friend on the other side of the door is just a tad grumpy, right? He's likely sharing. You know, back in those days, you would have probably a one-room house. Everybody shared the same living space and slept in the same area. So, of course, he's sharing a room with his whole family. The the kids are starting to squirm. The baby starts crying. His wife is kicking him, like, just give him the bread. Right? That's all happening at the same time that his friend is knocking on the door, bothering him in the middle of the night. Well, Why would this be a big deal? Because hospitality in the ancient Middle East, and even still today, very much so, hospitality is a massive value. It's a huge value. If someone drops by and they need food, you give it to them. No questions asked. Hospitality is a big deal. Whether they're a stranger or a friend, you give them food. So Jesus is using a fairly extreme example here, actually, when you think about it. Because this guy even though he's a friend of yours. He's not even a stranger. This is a friend of yours. And he still won't get his butt out of bed to help you. So he's both defying cultural norms and being a terrible friend. It's a pretty extreme example. However, says Jesus, he will likely eventually get up if you keep knocking. Because of your shameless audacity says jesus because of your shameless look at the middle of that because of your shameless audacity i just love that phrase because of your shameless audacity he'll eventually give you what you need now jesus to be clear i want to be very clear on this jesus at this point is not yet teaching us anything about god himself okay the focus is on isn't so much on the friend He's just an example for the sake of comparison, which I'll get to in a second here. The focus here is on the person in this story who represents you. What are you doing in this story? You're knocking. You're seeking. You're banging on the door multiple times. You are not giving up. You need this bread, and you're not going to go anywhere until you get it. That's what you're doing in this story. So Jesus is encouraging a type of holy audacity in this narrative, a type of posture or an attitude to take on when you know that there's something that you need, a persistency that refuses to give up. That's what he's pushing in this story. What, which is why Jesus then asks them after this, or says to them, ask now of God comparatively, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Whoever asks, uh, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Look at the amount of times that the word will, and I think I even forgot to italicize one of them. Look at the amount of times that will is noted in those two verses. With God, you don't have to pound down the door as if he's some unwilling college buddy who's too tired to move. That's not who God is. You don't have to hope for his hospitality. You simply have to ask and assume it, because with God, the door will always open. As scholar Will Barclay puts it, The lesson here is not that we must batter at God's door until we finally compel him for very weariness to give us what we want, until we coerce an unwilling God to answer. The point here is that if a grumpy and unwilling householder can in the end be coerced by his unwilling friend's shameless persistence into giving him what he needs, how much more will God, who is a loving father, supply Your needs. See, here is where the key teaching moment happens in this passage. How much more will God supply what you need? If this is what a friend, an unwilling friend, will do for you, if this is what you who are evil as a father know how to do it, how much more will a loving father supply? All that you need. And what is it exactly that we need most? That's in these last verses. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, it's now been made clear Jesus isn't just teaching his disciples how to pray. He's not just giving them a formula. He's not only teaching them about the goodness of the one that they're praying to. He's teaching them what, in their prayers, they actually need most. What they should be praying for and about most. What the end goal and ultimate desire of their prayers should be. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. This is what the disciples of Jesus should pray for most persistently than anything else. And this is why we are closing this series with this passage, because Jesus has just made it clear to us, to his disciples, that the Holy Spirit is our greatest need. The Spirit is what we need most to receive from the Father when we knock on his door. And because the Spirit is our greatest need, Jesus makes it clear that God's desire is to gift us with this gift. He knows what we need. He knows that this is what we need most. And so his greatest desire is that we actually receive it. That we actually receive it. How much more, says Jesus, will the Father give his Spirit to those who ask? This is what Jesus and the Father desire most to give to us more than anything else. Because giving us, giving his children, his spirit, was the plan all along. Look at what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross. Taking on the weight and the burden of all of human sin. Feeling estranged and separated from his father. This is what he does. Look at these two verses. One in John and one in Luke. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And in Luke, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus committed his spirit. What spirit is Jesus speaking of, if not the Holy Spirit that descended on him in his baptism? if not the Holy Spirit that he spoke about throughout his ministry. And he alluded to numerous times that there was going to be someone else who was going to come. Did you ever think that when Jesus said these words, yes, he is referencing some of the Psalms in Scripture, but did you ever think that he wasn't just signifying his death, but he was signifying the giving up of his spirit so that that spirit could then be redistributed to all those who would follow him? So that the new covenant could officially begin, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where the people of God are no longer defined by a holy law, but rather by the joy in the Holy Spirit who inspires them to a holy living. Jesus alluded to this earlier in John chapter 7 when he said this, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He said the same thing to the Samaritan woman in John 4. Waters, living waters will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, though, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He hadn't yet been glorified. However, when he had been, when Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended, and been glorified, then the gift of the Holy Spirit was all that the disciples could talk about You can't get very far into the New Testament after the Gospels without continuously and constantly hearing about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at these verses. These are just a few of them. Acts chapter 5. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. Paul says in Romans 5, And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. First John 4, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his Holy Spirit. See, the whole point of Jesus giving up his Spirit was so that we could then ask for it and receive it. The whole point of Jesus giving up his Spirit was so that we could then ask for it and receive it. And based on this passage in Luke, he taught his disciples ahead of time How to do that. And that that's what they were going to need to do. Ask. Knock. Seek. Be persistent. Assume God's hospitality. Because God wants to give you his spirit abundantly. Because he knows that this spirit is what we need most. God knows our needs better than anyone better than ourselves he knows what we need in order to live out this life that jesus has called us to live because as we've discussed before we humans are pretty well helpless on our own i came across this passage these verses in isaiah 30 just the other day isaiah says this speaking on behalf of the lord woe to the obstinate children he's talking of course of israel to those who carry out plans that aren't mine forming an alliance but not by my spirit That sound familiar? How often do we do this? Heaping sin upon sin who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Of course, it was Israel's consistent uh, uh, desire to to go to a nation more powerful, to look to a God more powerful. Um, But here, of course, he's highlighting that Israel's greatest sin was that they would not depend on the Spirit of God. But rather on themselves. Isaiah is here speaking as if the Israelites were not depending on God's Spirit, but were depending on themselves, on their own ideas of what was good, of what was profitable, of what was helpful. And frankly, we are no different. And if you, though you are evil, says Jesus, and inclined towards your own selfish motivations and your own interests, if you, even you, can figure out how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Holy Father, in whom there is no evil, give you what you need the most? And again, Jesus is emphasizing here that it is the gift of the Spirit, that is our highest good and our greatest need. The Spirit is the most beautiful gift that we could ever ask for. You know, we ask for so many things in our prayers. But folks, the the gift of the Spirit is the most important gift that we could ever ask for. The Spirit is the gift that we need the most. He's the person in our lives that we need the most. Jesus says this in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's going to gift you with another advocate who's like me. I'm not going to be here in person in the flesh, but you're going to receive somebody else who's like me. Another like me who's going to be with you forever. Who will advocate for you. Who will stand up for you. Who will stand with you. Like, like a groomsman or a bridesmaid standing up for their friend at a wedding. Or even more so, like a best friend witnessing for you in, in a courtroom. Pleading on your behalf. Testifying for you that you're innocent. You're actually not guilty because somebody else has taken on your guilt for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Eugene Peterson Writes John 14 this way in the message. If you love me, I'll talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him. It doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he's been staying with you and will even be in you. This friend is someone who you can know on a deeper level than anyone else and who desires and who knows you on a deeper level than anyone else because this friend more than anyone else is able to transform you and shape you into the character of Christ. This friend knows what you need most and he knows how to teach you to think like Christ, to live like him, to love like him. And is that not what we as followers of Jesus desire most? To look like Jesus. Isn't that what we want most? I'm reminded of a, of a news story that I read a few months ago of a pilot who was flying his Cessna 208 airplane. He had a, a passenger next to him and he suddenly just went unresponsive. As if he he had fainted or something had happened. He went completely unresponsive. And the passenger next to him, named Darren Harrison, who had who had never flown a plane in his life, had no idea what he was doing, was able to connect to the air traffic controller on the ground and, and ask for instructions for how to get the plane back on Earth. <laughs> so the air traffic controller, his name was Robert, he actually was able to navigate Darren through the steps, guiding him. Each moment along the way, calmly reassuring him when the anxiety got too high. And together, they were able to get the plane safely back on the ground. This guy had no experience. He had never flown a plane before. He had no idea what he was doing. But a voice coming through the cockpit speaker was able to guide him down to safety. And I read that and I thought, huh, that's One, that's amazing. But two, that's in a really neat way. That's kind of how the Holy Spirit desires to work with us. Oftentimes, we too run into situations that we have no idea how to handle. We're in a conflict that we don't know how to address. We know somebody who needs a word of encouragement that we don't know how to give. Our neighbor loses a spouse, and we don't know how to comfort them. We don't know how to be Jesus in every situation. And the Spirit is that friendly voice of direction guiding us safely to a place of assurance, teaching us, cheering us on, empowering us in ways that we didn't even think was possible. He advocates for you. He offers guidance to you. He's the gift that you need in each and every circumstance. It's the Spirit who whispers to us, hey, maybe think about this. Hey, that might not be the best idea. Hey, maybe reach out to that person. Don't worry, I'll give you the words to say. According to Jesus, we need this voice of love directing us more than we need anything else. We need his friendship. We need his advocacy. We need his guidance. We need him to stand with us and behind us and before us as we face all the hardships that frequently come at us. We need him. And we need him now more than ever. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this, but man, you read through the newspapers or you watch the news and there is so much restlessness in human hearts these days. So much restlessness. People are anxious and stressed, whether it's about the economy or the housing market or the war, whatever it is. Teams and boards are are disagreeing and dissolving. Organizations are falling apart all over the place. People are irritable. Quick to spell out their opinions. Quick to dichotomize themselves and polarize themselves. Quick to judge and complain. Quick to make assumptions. Quick to to come to conclusions that immediately think about the negative rather than the positive. And, And this is all because or allowing ourselves to be defined by some of the chaos and the hardships around us, rather than by the voice within us. The voice who's been given to us by a good Father who knows what we need. So my question for us then this morning is this. To close off this this sermon series, it's probably more than one question, but what would it look like if we actually embraced the Spirit as our greatest need? If we sought to be defined by the empowerment and the joy and the love that the Spirit wants to give us? What would it look like if each of us legitimately and persistently and consistently prayed that God would give us more of his Spirit? What would that look like? How much more would God give? How much more would we see lives changed and transformed? How much more would we see the fruits of the Spirit operate among us, like Todd talked about last week? What if we were a people identified by the activity of the Spirit? If all of our conversations with one another were sprinkled with the salt of the Spirit, if we were the kind of people who sought to be guided by him and looked for him in the hearts and the lives of each other, what if we were a gathering place where familiar and unfamiliar alike could come together and receive and be filled by someone beyond this world who offers us a divine friendship and shapes us more and more into the character of Jesus Christ? Does this sound like a pipe dream? Does this sound surreal to us? Does it sound unlikely? Or does it sound like something that Jesus always intended for the church to be? I'm going to close here with just one final thought. It's not a very profound thought. It's a very practical thought. But I hope that it might be helpful. As Jesus alluded to, It is a discipline on our end. It is a discipline to keep asking, to keep knocking on the Father's door and requesting more of his Spirit. It's why Jesus put you in this story. Because he wants you to know that this is the kind of posture to take on when asking for the Spirit, when asking for your greatest need. And my encouragement to you this morning is to make this discipline a regular part of your day. To find some way to connect the Holy Spirit with an activity that you do or an item that you see. A space in your house that you walk into. An armchair in the corner of a quiet room. An image on your wall that you see every day. An item of food that you have for breakfast every morning. Let that item or activity be a reminder of the Holy Spirit a reminder of his presence with you, a reminder to pray every day that our good Father would give you more of his Holy Spirit so that you can look more and more like Jesus. I know it sounds simple, but at the same time, it is a discipline for us to do this. I say this because years ago, I was working one summer between college semesters at a nursery out in Abbotsford, and a friend of mine and I were chit-chatting about something biblical or about our faith and carrying pot, as we were carrying pots around and moving things and whatnot. And just as she was saying something rather profound about the Holy Spirit, a little white butterfly, very obnoxiously, flew right in front of my face. And it caught me so off guard that I dropped this giant pot of dirt all over the floor. And it took about an hour for us to clean it up, but we couldn't help but laugh about it because, of course, this friend of mine is thinking that, well, clearly the Holy Spirit was trying to get your attention. Ha, ha, ha. But every single time for the last, oh, man, how many years would this be now? 14 years, 15 years ago? Every single time ever since then that I see one of those stinky little white butterflies, and they're beautiful. They come out, you know, mostly in spring and summer. Every single time, I kid you not, that I see one of those little white butterflies, I think of the Holy Spirit. Every time. And I remember how present he really is with me. When I was editing this sermon, I was sitting outside on our porch, and I think three of them flew by. (laughs) I thought, okay, I'll say it, it's fine. (laughs) And so I want to encourage you this morning, seek, knock, be persistent, assume God's hospitality, assume that even though it feels silly sometimes knocking over and over and over and asking for the same thing, that he is faithful to give you what you need. What you need most is His Spirit. Because if you know how to give good gifts, how much more, really, how much more will our Father in Heaven give His Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we want to thank you this morning simply for the gift of your Spirit. We thank you that it is your Spirit who empowers us in more ways than we realize to think and to act and to look like your Son, to look like you. Father, we ask now as we continue to worship, as we sing truths about who you are, what we believe. We pray that your Spirit would cement these truths into our hearts. That we would be mindful of your Spirit's presence here with us. And that we would be intimately aware of how deeply you know us and you know exactly what we need. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.